Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Go and Be, Part 1, Mission of God, recorded Sunday, April 23rd, 2023. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Brendan with today's message. My name is Brendan. I'm a minister here on the staff. I'm a newer minister here on the staff. And one thing about being the new guy, people love to make fun of you. For example, I walked in this morning and I just, I gave Dan Walter the friendliest, hello, hey, how you doing? And uh, Dan says, wow, you sound great. And I say, do I? And he says, no, (laughs) you sound terrible. Um, Thanks, Dan. I had a cold earlier this week. And so if my voice sounds an octave lower, this is why I feel better than I sound. But I'm here, and if my voice goes out, joke's on Dan, because he'll be preaching the third service. Um, But anyway, lots of jokes. Another running joke uh, people around here have about me is that I'm a big Marvel guy. (laughs) On cue. Not the worst thing someone here could say about me. Not the worst thing someone has said about me. My wife has said far more egregious things about me from this stage, but we won't revisit that. But every so often, when I'm hanging out with someone on our staff and they introduce me to someone new, they like to let them know that I'm a big Marvel guy. Now, to be clear, I'm not a big Marvel guy. I'm a, I'm a casual Marvel guy. I, I enjoy the Avengers. I made the mistake once of wearing Marvel shirts two days in a row, and it's stuck ever since. Um, but I do wonder if there are any actual Marvel fans out there that can remember this scene right here. Does this scene look familiar to any of you? Yes? All right. We have, we have, this goes back 15 years. Uh, this is from the first Iron Man movie, which was the first of the modern Marvel movies. It's actually the post-credit scene, which has become a staple in these movies. Here, Tony Stark, Iron Man, comes home to find Nick Fury in his house. And I love what Nick says when Tony enters the room. He says, I am Iron Man. You think you're the only superhero in the world? Mr. Stark, you've become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. I don't know about you, but when I saw that scene for the very first time, it was that wow moment. It was that sort of mind-blowing moment when I realized that there was more actually going on here, that there was a story beyond the story. I mean, if you really are a big Marvel fan, you've always known that there's a Marvel universe. But for the casual moviegoer, this was our first glimpse, our first sense that Marvel was creating a greater story, a story beyond the story. In philosophical terms, a meta story, a story in which the story of Iron Man found its place. For Marvel, it was this creative interplay of individual stories with a greater story that helped them build the biggest, most profitable movie franchise in history. And for Iron Man, it was this newfound awareness of his place within the greater story that helped him evolve from being a self-serving narcissist into a true hero who would give the greatest sacrifice of all. He knew the story he was living in, And for him, it made all the difference. There's one question I want you to leave here reflecting on today. It is this. What story are you living in? 
Not just what is your story, but what story are you living in? What is the greater story in which your story finds its place? We're going to talk about that today, but before we do, let's talk about the series that we're in. This week, we're launching this new series that Rachel talked about, Go and Be. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be exploring what it looks like to join the mission of God as the people of God. And church is going to look a little different these few weeks. I mean that both literally and figuratively. Literally, you notice this as you walked in the building, I'm sure. We transformed the plaza to be a space where you can come into contact with the needs of people in our local community and around the world. This is going to be a really powerful experience for you to engage with, and I hope you do after this service. And not only that, but figuratively, we're carving out space in our services to hear stories of amazing individuals who are living on mission with God in their own unique ways. These are remarkable individuals who have made it their habit to say yes to whatever opportunities God has put in front of them. Story is an important part of all of this because when you hear stories of work that is being done as well as of work that needs to be done, it can help inspire ways that you might want to get involved. It can help you think about how you can live on mission within your own story. And not only that, but if we are to live on mission, we must understand our story. That is the story, the greater story that explains the mission of God in our world. If we are to have a mission in life, if we are to have a purpose in life, it must flow out of what we believe is happening in the world around us. As philosopher Alistair McIntyre has said, I can only answer the question, what am I to do if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself apart? And this brings me back to the question I asked earlier. What story are you living in? What is the greater story in which your story finds its place? Well, there are several great stories that people believe around the world, but in our part of the world, there are about three stories or approaches to story that tend to dominate. One approach is to ignore the greater story, to never think about the greater story. Now, most of us have experienced this on some level. We wake up, we go to work, come home, we eat, we clean, we shower, we go to bed, and then we do it all over again. In this approach, we don't think about the greater story, so we don't have a sense of mission or purpose. We just go with the flow, taking each day as it comes. Another approach is to deny the greater story, to say that there is no greater story. We're born, we live, we die, and then we're no more. We don't think about the greater story because there is no greater story. It's just the natural elements and all that's around us. If there's a purpose to be found, it's a purpose that's made, not a purpose that exists in and of itself. And then third, there's what I like to call the pop Christian story. It's a story that goes like this. We're born, we live, we try to do good, eventually we do bad, and so we try to do good things because we believe that at the end of this world, we're either going to go up to the good place or go down to the bad place, and so we try to believe the right things because we think if we believe the right things, then we'll go up instead of going down. It's a story of escape. It's a story of how we can get away from this place because literally and figuratively, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. This is probably the most common story, and there are a few issues with it. For one, it's very me-focused. It's not really about God as much as it is about me and what I do in the world. Another issue is that there's not a lot of purpose 
in this story. I mean, if the point of life is really just to believe a set of things so I can go live some spiritual life up in the clouds, then what's the point of my life on earth right now? I mean, maybe I can help others escape as well, but is that it? Now, why would I care about serving the poor or fighting world hunger or caring for the planet if life is really just about the life that comes after this? And then the biggest issue with the pop Christian story, as I see it, is the Bible. Now, this may be the story that pop Christianity believes, but it's not the story that the Bible tells. And so what I want to do with the time I have left is to share the greater story according to Scripture. Now, I can't share it all. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, and they only gave me 20 minutes to talk. Uh, I mean, literally, my wife, who helped shape this series, said, Brandon, I want you to tell them the mission of God as it's found in the story of the Bible, and I want you to do it in 20 minutes or less. Okay, hon. Uh, <laughs> I've already used nine minutes. And so that's all to say, we're not going to talk about all the details here. We're just painting contours. And I'm going to break it up into six acts. And so what are the six acts that make up the greater story of the Bible? Well, beginning with Act 1, the story begins with creation. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there are different ways to think about creation. When did it happen? How did it happen? How long did it happen? You know, people interpret this act in different ways. But one point we can't miss is that God is the primary actor. Creation begins with God. It exists because of God. It is given order, meaning, and purpose by God. God is the main actor. Not me, not you, not some other deity, God. This story revolves around him and what he's doing in the world. Of course, God isn't a solo actor. In Genesis 1.26, God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. That word translated there as image is a word that means statue. And in the ancient world, kings had this custom of setting up statues of themselves, images of themselves, around their kingdom, kingdoms to represent them and show the extent of their reign. And so the idea in Genesis is that humans were made as living, breathing statues who would represent God as rulers on the earth. In other words, we are his royal representatives. We may not be the main characters, but we play a part. Unfortunately, as the story moves on to Act 2, humans fail in their calling. God set a pair of humans in a garden to tend to it. They were given freedom to cultivate a good and God-honoring society. But this freedom wasn't enough. They weren't content to represent God. They wanted to be as God. And so they rebelled against God. A rebellion with holistic consequences, personal, societal, and global. All of creation became subject to sin and death. And so if all the good things God had created were to be liberated from this captivity, it would take a global God-sized mission to save it all. And that's the mission God launched in Act 3. Beginning in Genesis 12, God identified one partner, Abraham, to be a conduit through whom all his plans to bless the world would come about. And through that one person came one nation, Israel, who was appointed by God to fulfill the original human calling to represent God to the world around them. 
God gave Israel a law and set them in a garden-like land that sat at the crossroads of the greatest empires in the world at that time. And if they would have just lived according to God's instructions in that land, then the world would have come to know who God is and what God is like. But again, like Adam in his garden, Israel failed to live up to their calling. Even their kings, who represented this kingdom of representatives, one by one, couldn't pass the test. And so if God's mission to free creation and bless all nations would ever be accomplished, he'd have to come to earth and be the human partner he always hoped humans would be. And that's what he did. In Act 4, Jesus, the true Israelite, the true human, the true image of God, came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. A gospel that was as holistic as the consequences that cursed the world. And what made this kingdom different was the way he would come to rule it. Jesus didn't take the crown through conquering people. He took it through the cross. The ultimate image of humility and love. On the cross, he let the powers of the world do their worst to him. And when they had done their worst, he triumphed over them as God raised him from the dead and gave him a throne in heaven. And this resurrection, which happened not by coincidence, in the midst of a garden, launched the start of a new creation. A new creation which, if we jump past Act 5 to Act 6, finds its culmination when God will one day restore all creation. Notice what we read in the closing chapters of the Bible. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Don't miss this. The Bible doesn't end with us going up to heaven. It ends with heaven coming down to earth. This is not a story of evacuation. God doesn't come here to take us away from this place. It's a story of restoration. God's mission is to restore all things as he brings heaven to this place. This is how the story ends. It begins with creation. It ends with new creation. It begins with a garden. It ends with a garden city. It begins with us created to rule and it ends with us reigning with God. This is the great story. This is how it ends. 
And when you know the great story and you know how it ends, it shapes how you live in Act 5, which is the act that we live in now. See, the end of the story has been written, but not the act that comes before it, at least not all of it. We know what Jesus' followers did in those early days when he ascended to heaven. But this is an open chapter, and we have a part in shaping the story. We have a mission within God's mission. As Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, we know that in everything God works for good with those who love him who are called according to his purpose. When you come to follow Jesus, giving him your allegiance and being united with him in baptism, you come to take on his image, which is the true image of God. And as a renewed image bearer, you are invited to partner with God in his mission to redeem the nations and to restore creation. Now, you don't do the work of restoration itself. Only God can do that. But in a sense, what you do here and now today provides the building blocks for what God is doing and will do in the age to come. I like how N.T. Wright puts it in this book called Surprised by Hope. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself— will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. The point is this. What you do today matters. You have a purpose in life. You have a mission in life. Just as Iron Man had a mission within the mission of the Avengers to save the Marvel Universe, so you have a mission within God's overall mission to redeem and restore our universe. Now, how each person participates in God's mission is going to look different. For me, it looks like helping people learn to love and understand Scripture. But for you, it might look like opening up your home to foster kids or providing a safe place for vulnerable kids to come in, or providing free car repair for single moms, or helping refugees from another country uh, adjust to life in central Nebraska. Or maybe you'll just choose to partner with businesses that make it a habit to pay fair wages and follow sustainable practices. Now, I don't know what mission looks like for you, but make no mistake, God has called each and every one of you to go and be his representative. And this is the beauty of the church when it's at its best. The problems in our world can seem insurmountable when you try to tackle them on your own. But when every person in the church says yes to God's call and uses the diversity of the gifts that God has given to the whole church, we can begin to make a difference. You aren't called to save the world on your own. That's God's job. You're just called to play your part. In a moment, we're going to hear a story about someone who's playing her part, someone who's made it her habit to say yes to the opportunities God has put in front of her. But before we do, we're going to take a moment here to celebrate something we do every Sunday, which is uh, the practice of communion. And so if you have those elements with you, you can get them out right now. And as you take the elements this morning, I just want to invite you to reflect on those questions I asked you a few minutes ago. What story 
are you living in? What is the greater story in which your story finds its place? Jesus knew the story he was living in, and for us, it made all the difference. Who was Tara before Jesus came in the picture? I, to be honest with you, um, I, don't, I don't really know how to answer that. It's hard, because I've always felt like Jesus has always been in my heart. When I was little, um, my dad was Catholic, my mom was Mormon, uh, and neither one attended church. So um, I went with my neighbor, and I remember very distinctly going to Sunday school with her and memorizing John 3.16. So it's always been an important thing in my life. You know, I all, that's the only Bible verse I ever knew. When I was young, uh, I said to someone, I mean, and I clearly remember saying this, um, when I grew up, I wanted to have five kids of my own and then I wanted to foster. I have no idea where that came from. I've never known a foster child. Um, I was never in foster care. Um, it was just something that I was on my heart ever since I was young. It wasn't until I was older that um, I pursued it because, you know, again, I wanted to have five kids first. Well, in order to do that, you have to have a husband. <laughs> you have to have. And so when I turned 40 and I didn't have the husband, um, I decided that maybe I wasn't going to have my own kids, obviously, but I was okay with it because I knew that the fostering was something I wanted to do. I think my concern originally was, you know, as a single woman, is that something that I could do? Because, you know, I'd always seen foster parents. When I called and they said, yeah, oh no, we'll take you. I was, I was in. I was presented with a 14, 15 year old. And I was like, I want babies. Her story wasn't any different than, um, you know, friends that I've had in my life. So I just kind of, clicked with her. And so from then on, I kind of switched gears and was like, I want the older kids. Through the whole process, it's just I've had, I really had to just say, you know, I'm trusting that you're putting these people in my life, that they are meant to be with me, and there's a reason for it. And I remember the first time I got one of them, I literally looked at her and she just, I said, do you want a hug? And she looked at me and goes, no. <laughs> I was like, okay. But like, I don't know that it's changed me because I feel like it's something I've always, you know, I've, my whole life has prepared me for this. If for only a moment in time, this child knows pure, unadulterated love, that's, that ma that's what makes it worth it. There's no greater joy than having a kid know that no matter what, you are always there for them. It's probably sometimes the hardest thing you'll do, but the most rewarding. If it's on your heart, I just say I highly recommend it because they'll they'll train you. They'll go through all that stuff. But if you even remotely think of it like, oh, I've always thought of doing that, then maybe you should do it. Really, honestly, it's the core of what we do here. I mean, Love Unlimited is just like the most ridiculous thing. It just fits it to a T. There are a lot of amazing kids out there that just need to be loved. And that's what we do here. So go do it. <laughs>
If you are a parent or grandparent or have any influence over a young person's life, that is a mission field. That is a mission field that God has already put you in. And so we're hoping that you see that as a mission field. And right now in Grand Island and Hall County, there are 125 students and kids who are in our foster care system. And many of them need a home. And so you might hear Tara's story and think, I want to be involved, but I'm not sure how. And so I want to share with you just a couple of ways that you can be involved. And one is we have a foster care training that our church is hosting starting next Monday, May 1st. And foster care is not for everyone. It's not. It's something that you really need to be called to, but it may be for you. And so if you hear her story and something is maybe burning inside of you, that's a good sign. Go and talk to Terry, who is going to be training us. She is here today. She's in our plaza. She would love to have a conversation with you. And if that's not you, but you want to help with that, we need help with childcare. So if you have a night or two to give, we would love to have you do that. You can sign up on our app or on our website. Another way that you can help is we have a foster care closet that we are hosting for the very first time on the weekend of June 2nd and 3rd. And in order to make that a really dignifying, amazing event, we need a lot of help. So please sign up to help with that. You can sign up for an hour. Um, if you have time that weekend, we would use your help. And then finally, we have an ongoing opportunity with the CARE portal. And this exists to help families um, avoid entering into the foster system. And so we really want to help support our families who are in crisis, who need support. And the way that this works is you sign up to be a part of it. And then when a need arises, it's a very specific need usually. An email will go out. And if you can meet that need, you meet it. It's so simple. Um, but if you want to be a part of that, you can sign up for that as well. Throughout this series, you're going to hear a lot of opportunities. You're going to hear a lot of what's happening in our city, in our world. And our prayer is that as you leave this space today, you just start asking the Lord to give you eyes to see. God, show me what you're up to in my life. Show me what you're up to when I walk into my workplace, when I walk down the street. Be willing to be interrupted by God's mission. Church, let's go and be Love Unlimited. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.